You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 125, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me tonight, both co-hosts, Bill Sykes and Will Miles. You can find Bill on Twitter at Real. B. Sykes, S-I-K-E-S, and founder of ReadReaction.com, our partnership site for Gators Breakdown, is Will Miles, and you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC, and we can finally break a little bit of news here. Bill is back in Florida. For good. 904, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I have returned. Man, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna need some more fishing line and a bail bondsman. <laughs> and how's it how's it feel to put all the jackets away and uh you know just to be able to go out and shorts and a t-shirt every day, Bill? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be like in the twenties tomorrow. But still. Say, if that happened for one day, <laughs> now we're in the twenties. Yeah. Still, man, it's it's just the, the principle of the thing. It's yeah, it's really good to be back. It's I I honestly didn't really think I'd be back to Florida. I thought this was a yeah, I'm a final career move and after about 10 years, here I am. I'm, I'm ecstatic. And you're and back have, uh, close with family, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I grew up here uh, in the Jacksonville area on the west side. and uh, So, yeah, definitely close to family again. Uh, Dave, that 20 degrees is what you get for making fun of me for wearing a hoodie last week. That's, <laughs> that's what you get. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. This uh, no, this is Florida. I don't want to see a. I don't want to see below sixty five degrees. <laughs> yeah, oh, this, man. this we're, is we're not what I saw north north when I came back. But you, you know what, man? It'll, <laughs> the sun will be out soon. So the one thing I do like, and I take advantage of it, is I love like Nike Florida Gator jackets. So I can't complain too much about the cold because I like wearing it. So, man, when it's seventy five here in June, you're not. You're not. I'm. Gonna, I'm going to give you guys so much crap about it. So just, just prepare. <laughs> just prepare. <laughs> We, we will skip weather reports. It'll only last like three days, man, and then you'll be cold again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Bill, how, how has it been to move and back with family? As, uh, as we all mentioned, you've been doing some uh, some fishing. Yeah, I have, man. I, you know, and I got here and I had to you know, get some proper barbecue and, and go fishing and stuff. And I've kind of been off Twitter. I know some people have noticed that, I, you know, and plus it's just been kind of a quiet week and recruiting is revving up now that the dead period's over. So I've kind of just been taking a step back and kind of collecting my thoughts because we're about to get real busy. 
I, I was about to say that recruiting is getting started and ramped up. Uh, official visits weekends are coming. How in the world are you dealing with that? Because this is this is your wheelhouse. Well, I, you know, I, my, I've been typing up a storm on the spreadsheets and, you know, really trying to get as much data as I can gathered uh, for when we do get the final results in on, on this final national signing day for to wrap up the class of 2018. Uh, because I want to be able to give a good, robust picture of, of – of where things stand and how Mullen is performing and how people should process that. And there's so much that goes into it when you talk about a transition class, because you can't just say, Oh, well, they missed these guys and got these guys because you have to consider the historical context of Florida, what, you know, uh, coaches typically do in their first year when they have, you know, short time to work with what can be expected, what he was left with, what he wasn't. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot to process here. And I believe that we're going to give you guys a good picture of what's going on. And, and there's some good encouraging signs and some other things we probably should be a little concerned about. So um, to answer your question, I've been very busy. <laughs> <laughs> As we all have. Will, before we dive into the episode, uh, read and reaction. You had a story on Todd and Grantham, Todd Grantham uh, that we'll hit on. Uh, this episode, what what else you got going on cooking this week? Yeah, so I'm going to be releasing something on on recruiting and the uh, you know where you should focus on offense and where you should focus on defense. Where the top five, um, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit tonight. But basically, where do the elite offenses and defenses focus when they when they when they bring in recruits, and and how does that reflect on where Florida is right now and where they need to go coming into February? That's right, because uh, you know. Compete for national championships. You got to be elite in certain places, and uh, I think that's where you're going with that one. So, remember, guys out there, you can find all your Gators breakdown episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Search on those sites to get the links by following Gators Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And look, when you're out there on those sites, iTunes, especially Google Play as well, rate and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown, guys. It began this week, off-season workouts for the Gators and uh, this week. Uh, and we know this is where the Gators need some help. And we saw it with our own eyes, the first game of last season versus Michigan, where the Gators were dominated by the Michigan defensive front. Then we heard rumblings of uh, inadequate strength, con- strength and conditioning. And then the floodgates opened on that after Michael Wayne and Florida parted ways. Uh, you had players not happy with the workouts of Florida and, and going out to a third party for workouts. Uh, I had a high school coach here in Jacksonville tell me uh, on the visit uh, to Florida uh, that the workout area was was in a mess during the visit, not buttoned up as you would see at other schools. Uh, you know, it was just uh, a mess uh, at, at times down there, and uh, you know and that might seem like a little detail, but that's also kind of goes into the mental part of it. Uh, well, that's changing now, uh, and we saw it in a photo tweeted by Scott Carter, uh, you know, from FloridaGators.com. Uh, is a photo of a sign heading into the weight room. It's titled "The Gator Way" and has points of emphasis. And those points are as follows. Don't step on the gator. Gator gear only. No hats, no earrings, no headphones, no cutoffs, no cell phones, no sitting down. This one really got me. No yawning. (laughs) No eating in the weight room and gators only. So, guys, this is kind of music to to some fans' ears out there. We know the struggles of last year, and it was a team-wide struggle. Uh, but you know, we really want to see this transformation in the trenches, uh, especially among the offensive line. It's been a point of weakness of this team for, for multiple seasons now. Numbers are finally there, and after a season where they were hyped up in the preseason and then they didn't live up to it, you know, guys, we, we know, as I said, it was a team-wide struggle. We need to get better. Florida needs to get better in the trenches. 
But, you know, what we've seen for these first couple of days of these workouts, you know, I think a lot of fans are taking notice and are going to notice some differences uh, from the way the, these players that we even saw an article with some of the players with Scott Carter as well, talking about how Dan Mullen was running with them. Uh, they they liked that part of it. He was there kind of running with them early in the morning when they were running around campus. Uh, they started the, the weight portion of the workouts uh, today on Wednesday. Uh, so, guys, you know, it, it is a little different from what we heard toward the end of the Jim McElwain era. Yeah, I, I had a couple of guys reach out to me today that are connected with the program uh, and the team specifically. And I, I know one of the messages that was relayed to me, just out of the blue, I see these words on my phone. It says, man, Savage ain't playing. <laughs> so I think there's been I think there's been a, a rough couple of days here as, as the players get acclimated with what's going on but it was followed up and i think there's some happiness uh from the players and they they feel like they've got somebody that's ready to whip things into shape and and, and turn this roster into a winner so yeah it's tough and, and it's changing i think it was a problem before and i think that it's the immediate change is immediately evident Hey, Will, before, Will, before you jump in, you can speak to this, too, where you're going with it. You know, we hear every year different programs say it, too, and it's kind of a common theme throughout this time of year is, oh, this is the hardest strength and conditioning we've ever had. And, you know, we hear that from almost every program out there. We, I don't necessarily think we heard it from Florida, and we kind of – I think we see why a little bit now. But, you know, it, is, is that a tongue-in-cheek – tug-and-cheek comment or can we actually take something from what we're hearing about this well i mean i think there's some of that i i think at the end of the day you got to look at it and say where was the program and based on everything we're hearing it was at a place where things were at least disorganized if you wanted to be if you want to be polite about it which means there were probably guys who were skirting by and it doesn't sound like anybody's going to be allowed to skirt by which means you're going to have to earn earn what you get and you're going to have all the depth and all those sorts of things that that become an issue when there are people who are taking shortcuts. And, you know, the problem is, is that all the elite programs aren't taking shortcuts either. So this isn't a panacea that solve all of the problems, but it is a way to say, hey, we have top 15 talent. Let's get that talent to play like top 15 talent. And, you know, that's quite honestly not what we saw last year. And so hopefully that's what we'll see in 2018. Hey, look, man, let's be honest here. Mullen was not brought in to get a team over the top. Like Kirby Smart was brought in to kind of nudge things past where Mark Rick could could take Georgia. He Mullen was brought in to fix in a uh, fix a deficient program. He, he was brought in to take things out of the cellar and out of the dumps where they should have never been and bring it back to normalcy. And and while we'd like to think that normalcy for the university of Florida is championship level football. Well, I think we understand now that that is not necessarily the case and that, you know, you can fall well below that baseline of just being very good. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done and, and maybe he never holds, you know, championship trophies like that. But I think we're going to see a lot of immediate progress. And we, we've seen just a lot of the processes he's putting in place whether it be through the hiring process and, and the recruiting process and now the strength and conditioning program, he's proving to be a capable coach in all these phases and it's got to keep moving and there's a long way to go, but I'm happy just to see those changes to take things out of that, that funk and get it back. Right. And, and I think that it's very exciting to see these things. Maybe it's not the hardest strength and conditioning program 
they've ever experienced, but it sure looks a heck of a lot more like what you should have at the University of Florida than what we've seen in years past, at least by the accounts we've been given. Well, and for me, it has a lot to do with discipline, right? So we've seen false starts. We've seen bad penalties. We've seen guys who miss assignments, all sorts of stuff. And that discipline starts in February and in January when you get these guys in the weight room and you get them focused on what they're supposed to do. And there's been an emphasis on academics in the classroom and how you're interacting in the community. I know that was one of the things Savage was saying when he came in was that he wasn't just going to hold people accountable in the weight room and on the field, but he was going to hold them accountable in the classroom and off the field. And so, you know, that accountability, I think, think is something that we saw missing last year where guys were missing assignments. You could see a lack of trust that if one guy knew he was supposed to be in one place to make a block, he also knew he might have to move to pick up somebody who was missed by a running back or by, by a guard or something like that. And so hopefully what this is is a sign that that accountability and that discipline is starting to get built into the program. And, and just rebuilding that is going to go a long way towards making the team better on the field. Yeah, that's where I wanted to go with it too. I think it's it's physical and mental, uh, and you mentioned that because how I can go in and compare that is, guys, the numbers are kind of eerily similar for what Dan Mullins walking into among the offensive line, and what he had a, at Mississippi State among the offensive line, and the sizes are very comparable. And I'll, I'll go through that, but unless you see that, you know, sizes everything. Uh, even though they could be pretty much equal, you will have a mental aspect to it. And of course, on the field system aspect to it. But if you look at Mississippi State, and I'll go from left to right along the offensive line, Martinez Rankin, 6'5", 315. Hey, look at Martez Ivy, 6'5", 315. Left tackles they'll be walking in on are exactly the same size. Going to left guard, Daryl Williams at Mississippi State, 6'2", 305. Uh, I'll go use Harkless here, um, 6'4". 311, uh, Elton Jenkins, the center for Mississippi State. TJ, uh, he was 6'4", 313. TJ McCoy, 6'1", 313. Uh, Deion Calhoun, 6'3", 315 at right guard. Fred Johnson for Florida, 6'6", 330. Pretty big difference there at, at right guard. Right tackle, Stuart Reese, 6'5", 333 for Mississippi State. Juwan Taylor, right tackle for Florida, 6'5", 334. So what that ended up being was on the offensive lines, the average for Mississippi State, 316 pounds. What he walks into uh, at Florida, 320 pounds. That's the average there. Not big. Four-pound four difference on the, along the offensive line, average difference there. And look, I mean, that this speaks to it. They had a similar size offensive line at Mississippi State. And, yes, scheme goes into it as well. Uh, but they're not out there getting pushed around like we saw – Florida against Michigan and Florida against Georgia last year and, and different times and you know the, the FSU defensive line going at it too. You know, they're Mississippi State, similar size players, similar you know, build. They're going against Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, uh similar same the same teams Florida went up against, and they're not out there getting pushed around with similar numbers. Yeah, I, I think um I think that they, they're gonna have the beef, you know. I think they've got the size. I think um, it, it is similar to what he's had. I think the question is going to come down to do they have the athleticism and the quality, and is it a matter of can they be coached up or is it a talent issue? And, uh, I, you know, I've got some numbers we'll get into in a minute. I, I am a little concerned that maybe the talent might not be there to match the, the size they've got. So maybe they look the part that don't play the part. Yeah, but- 
can't can't we maybe go back to Mississippi State and saying they weren't maybe as recruited as high as these guys along a Florida offensive line, and maybe the coaching can take over from there. Yeah, I think it is possible, and I think you do have to give a little bonus though, performance wise, when when you look, even if they are lower recruited, they're also guys that he handpicked and evaluated. Yep. Uh, and, and as much as I think that McElwain at times was allotted for at least by his supporters as like some gym miner that could find diamonds in a rough. I just don't think he was the greatest evaluator um, in addition to not being a great recruiter. And so I would trust guys that a proven coach like Mullen has handpicked for his offensive line and built as a unit over guys that were thrust upon him by a failed coach like McElwain. So, yeah, I do think there's some of that. It's just, it's kind of hard to say is, is you know, what will win out the fact that he can with these guys into shape or they're McElwain recruits. And I don't, I don't mean to diss him. I like Heggie a lot. Uh, yeah. I think he's a very good offensive lineman. I think Ivy's got potential that they could tap into. Uh, Juwan Taylor's a quality lineman. I just mean is, is an complete roster unit. They certainly haven't proven to have the depth. I think that there are some very good pieces to that line. I'm just skeptical. Yeah, Will, before you jump in, let me fix something there. Oh, why I use Kavaris Harkless instead of Brett Heggie, I'll never know, that left guard. But Harkless was 6'4", 311. Heggie's 6'4", 331. So the average goes up for size-wise even more. <laughs> hey, he's hurt right now anyway. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, if, if you look at the offensive line, if you look at the first team and the second team offensive linemen, they're all either – they're all three-star players except for Ivy, who's a five-star player. And so, you know – they're not going to overwhelm anybody with some giant talent profile. They're not blue chip players by the most, you know, by for the most part, but they're all very solid players. They're players that you would imagine that Mullen would be able to obtain at Mississippi state. I think scheme plays a big part in it. I mean, you know, there was, there was an article I wrote a couple of months ago that talked about the simple schemes that Mullen has in his, you know, for his offensive lineman, just running straight ahead versus some of the pulling and more complex schemes that people, that players were asked to do in the, in the McElwain offense. So I do think that plays a role. I think the strength and conditioning obviously plays a role. I think the attitude and the discipline plays a role, but you know, at the end of the day, we won't know until they go out on the field. And that's part of the fun part, right? Is that um, I'm actually interested to see whether the guys who started last year, or the guys who start this upcoming season that, you know, obviously there, there are a few new, new faces in there as well, but, but if it's the same starting five, then it'll be really, really apparent what coaching and strength and conditioning can do um, pretty early on in the season. And I want to go back to 2008 as well and throw that start offensive line in. Like all these guys were over 300 pounds. And so, you know, we will look at some targets that Florida's looking at. And, you know, these are probably going to be some target weights that they're going to, going to want them to be at. You know, Florida's under Dan Mullen, uh, you know, does his best offensive line, 2008 national championship team, Phil Trotwine, 6'6, 310. Carl Johnson, 6'6, 330. Marquise Pouncey, 6'5, 312. Mike Pouncey, 6'5, 312. Jason Watkins, 6'6, 310. They average at 314. So that's lower than what UF currently has and lower two, two, two pounds lower than what he was starting with at Mississippi State. Uh, so, you know, we talk about strength and conditioning as part of that is, is beefing up size. And look, that's going to have to happen with some of these targets that they're going after. You got Nicholas Petit Friere, who's a five star tackle. You know, and we've kind of seen Dan Mullen likes, they're probably going to like these guys being over 300 pounds. Well, Petit Friere is coming in at 6'6, 272. So he's got the frame to definitely put on some more size. William Barnes is the guy who would come in probably right away, size wise, and be there 6'4, 325. 
And um, you also look at Richard Garage, who was a current commit, and we'll see where he would fit in. But he's 6'5", 271. So Garage, Petit Friera, under, you know, 30 pounds under the 300-pound mark. And, you know, if there's a guys that are coming to Florida, you would have to think Dan Mullen would like to get them over that 300-pound range. So, you know, strength and conditioning comes into also looking at these targets and how they fit. The early enrollees as well, Noah Banks and Chris, I guess I can still can't get a pronunciation for his last name. So here's the, we'll keep with that <laughs> joke again. Uh, Blake, Blake, whatever it is, 6'6", 305. So both of those guys are 305 coming in. They're early enrollees, so they're getting in the strength and conditioning program already. But it is interesting that you know two of the, the biggest targets Florida's looking at are 30 pounds under the 300-pound uh, benchmark, it seems. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. You know, Florida's got kind of a history, especially in the Meyer era, with those big, lanky, blue-chip offensive tackles like Xavier Nixon, you know. So yeah. they, they've got – there's a precedent there and guys that can come in and succeed. But I think the interesting thing is when you talk about the averages of that 2008 line, uh, it actually happens the exact same when you average out their their recruiting profiles, where they ranked in the national recruiting rankings amongst players of all positions. They ranked – on average, 223. 200, that's the 223rd best recruit in the nation, which is like a, a mid-level, uh, mid-to-low-level four-star. And that was the same as all of Meyer's uh, offensive line recruits during his era. You know, and a lot of that was under Mullen's tenure. Um, and that has really fallen off. When, and under Muschamp, the average offensive lineman ranked 449 in the country. Under McElwain, that fell on down to 599. So, again, while these guys might look look the same and they have the beef uh they were not as highly touted uh as recruits they were just not viewed as that caliber of player it's it's fallen off tremendously and, and that's why i'll be mentioning this a few times over the course of the show this is a, a position of key importance uh we had a uh, a question i think with lucas mann asked what is the biggest need for the gators on the trail well now that the quarterback is in the fold Given recent history of Florida football, I'm going to say it's offensive line. Yes, you got a couple of good ones, and I guess we're going to go with Black or Blake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Noah Banks is in the fold. So, yeah, and no disrespect to those players because I think they both look like good prospects and Mullen picked them out. Uh, but they need talent in numbers at, on the offensive line. And, and with Nicholas Petit-Ferrer out there, with Richard Garage, with William Bards, with Ed Monolith still out there on the board, they need to go out and land a few of those guys that can really, really help this roster. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a star truther, so I'm with you. I want I want them to bring in I want them to bring in as much talent as they can on that offensive line. Certainly, Florida historically has had a lot of talent at that point. But you know, I looked at the top five offenses last year. Um, you look you look at it. It was based on yards per attempt, so basically yards per play. It was Oklahoma, Central Florida, Memphis, Oklahoma State, and Louisville. So three Power Five teams, and on their offensive line, the average star ranking according to the 247 composite was 2.6, and the average national ranking of each player of the offensive lines for those teams was 1,500. What, so, were, the, what were the teams again? So it was Oklahoma, Central Florida, Memphis, Oklahoma State, and Louisville. I, I hear a lot of flag football going on there. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what there's a lot of flag football. And I'll tell you, the other thing is, is that there's a lot of high-level quarterback play. So there's Baker Mayfield, Mackenzie Milton, Riley Ferguson, who was a JUCO transfer to Memphis, but he lit it up in junior college. Mason Rudolph, who was a really good high school product 
uh, prospect coming into Oklahoma State, and then Lamar Jackson. She got two Heisman Trophy winners, and then Mackenzie Milton, who led a team, you know, who who lit up that Auburn defense in 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 the Peach Bowl. So, um, you know. I think Mullen's gotten his most important offensive recruit in terms of what may, what may end up happening. And, and I agree. You want to bring in as much talent as you can and, and certainly uh, beefing up that offensive line would be a good thing to do. But I, I think one of, I think what this reflects is that if you have the right offense in place and you have the right signal caller in place that you can get by with a little bit lesser talent on the offensive line in some of these areas. Now, certainly the SEC is not the AAC and we do need to take that in consideration, but I, you know, Oklahoma lit up Georgia in the, in the Rose Bowl. So um, I, I think you can get by with a little bit less talent on offense. I think that's what, what you see overall. Overall, the average star ranking for those top five offenses is 2.8. The average national ranking is 13.06. So, um, you know, on offense especially, um, at least this year, and I need to go back and look even more, but but the same trend applies. If you look at the offenses, the top five offenses in, in 2016 was Oklahoma, Western Kentucky, Louisiana Tech, South Florida, and Toledo. 2015, it's Western Kentucky, North Carolina, Baylor, Notre Dame, and Texas Tech. Now, again, these aren't teams that are finishing top 25, but they're teams that are putting points on the board. And I think you can do that. I I think you can turn the offense around quicker than you can the defense, and I think that's reflected in the the star ratings. And and I will say this. When you you talk about offensive line, it it more than any other position depends on unit cohesiveness, continuity, and teamwork. Because it's not – it's just – Everybody's got to make their assignment. You know, you, you've got to have so much communication and line calls and trust and timing and, and all these other things. And then it, at the same time, you're talking about a position that's hard to gauge because there's so much physical development as these guys grow into SEC level offensive linemen that over the course of three, four, five years, you can emerge as a prospect, in my opinion, at that position to a higher degree than you can at others, where, you know, when you're running back, you can either turn on the burners and have a good vision or you can't, <laughs> you know, it's just not the same thing. Um, and one other point on that, there is a precedent for what you're saying because Florida in 2006, um, they won a national championship when the offensive line averaged as recruits, their starting five averaged 481st in the nation. So they were not on average, even four stars. As a matter of fact, of the starting five, Drew Miller was the only four-star starter they had in the group. You had Phil Trotwine, Jim Tart, uh, Steve Rissler, and Carlton Metter, who were all three-star recruits. So Florida's done it in the past, but they happened that year to have a defensive line that might as well have been full of six-star players, considering how high they were ranked, and we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Well, and, and if you look at if you look at Florida last year, or if you look at Florida coming into this year, you know Taylor Johnson, McCoy, Heggie, and Ivy, the star ranking looks pretty good. It's three point four, but the average national ranking of those guys is eight ninety three. So to your point, um, you know that you can get away with less talent, but that's that's twice, you know, that's double the ranking as those guys on that 2016 and 2000, yeah, 2016. So, you know, if, if you're, if you're expecting them to blow people off the ball the next year with those five guys, I think you're probably expecting, like you're expecting more than the strength and conditioning program is going to be able to provide. <laughs> There's going to have to be some misdirection. There's going to have to be some scheming to take advantage of maybe some of the shortcomings that some of those guys have. But I do think the strength and conditioning program can provide some of the discipline that allows you to trust that guy next to you, allows you to develop that kind of cohesiveness and these guys have 
um, ranking profiles that put that 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 if you put them at UCF, you'd say, "Wow, they've recruited really well on the offensive <laughs> line." So it's it's really all relative, and I think they can get there. But again, it's going to have to be through scheme. Yeah, and if they were lined up against Austin PA's defense, they'd probably be okay. You know? <laughs> so now, what we got to figure out is since I brought up Mississippi State's guys, I want to go back and look at their average star ranking and star rating, and and you know where they were at in the national rankings as well to see how it compares to the. You know, the starting five, six, seven that Florida or that Mullen will probably have at Florida. Yeah, I don't have those numbers offhand. But, yeah, I don't need but, yeah, but, but he was bringing in top 25 classes. So I'm betting that they're mostly three stars. Yeah, yeah that's what I would seem to. You know, one thing I, uh, you want to drop that stat I mentioned to you guys earlier before the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, guys out there, if you're, if you're into recruiting and, and try to piece together what's happening with Florida football, we've talked a great length about how Florida has been hurt by the recruiting performance. And, you know, really, I think other than quarterback, again, there's no other position that's been hurt as badly uh, as the offensive line. And something I stumbled on when I was looking at the numbers is that since, since 2011, the class, or excuse me, let's say it this way, since Urban Meyer left the University of Florida, uh, they have signed a total of seven recruiting classes. Plus, they have 2018 in progress. And in that time, they have only landed six blue-chip offensive line prospects. That's a four- or five-star prospect. Those six, of those six, two of them are in the NFL. That's DJ Humphreys and David Sharp. Two ran into legal problems and couldn't continue their Florida careers. That was Jessamine Dunker and Kadeem Telford. One is Martez Ivey, who was a second-team All-SEC performer, and he's returning this fall. And then the last one is TJ Moore, who was a, a freshman who redshirted uh, this past fall and will be back. So in a school like Florida, that's just unacceptable. When when you have 50 on average blue chip offensive linemen every single year and you can only pull on average just a little less than one per year, you've got a big problem. And, and nope, stars aren't everything. It takes coaching. There are always guys out there who are the exceptions to the rule, hidden gems, you name it. But that is enough to tell me that they have struggled at recruiting the position and that needs to change. And again, they have a chance to do that coming up. Nicholas Petit Fair, Richard Garage, William Barnes, they need to land one of those guys this year. And as I tweeted out yesterday, with these guys, and they're all you know visiting together uh, at Florida, you have a chance to build you know, maybe a potential, another, you know, great wall of Florida. Everybody remember, you know, you go back and look at that 84 offensive line and that's what they were called. You're, you're looking at a group of offensive linemen here that can kind of send a statement, send a message to the rest of the, the SEC and the rest of the nation that this is a point of emphasis that we have to hit. This is the point of emphasis that we need to hit. And we went out and we got these guys. Now, I'm not expecting Florida to, to land all three of these guys, but, you know, two is not out of the realm of possibility. And, and there actually is a good shot. So, you know, two, I, I told you guys in the private message, I'd still be ecstatic if they get two of those guys. And, you know, it really does look like um, – you know, Montalus and Barnes may be, um, you know, a, a, a package together. So, you know, we'll kind of see uh, what happens with them. But Garage is already committed. You know, you don't you have to keep him committed. They're going to uh, uh, Dan Mullen and, and Hevesy are going and, and visiting these guys this week. You know, I think there's a good chance Garage and Freer, I think, end up in the class. Um, if he on, on Barnes and Montalus, North Carolina. You know, really, they were at North Carolina this past weekend. They had a really impressive uh, visit there uh, for those guys. And Barnes has some connections to North Carolina through his mom, I believe. So you know, there, there's some more work to be there, to be done there. But if you get Garage and Frere, I, I'm smiling ear to ear. 
Yeah, Robert Kraft uh, at our our Kraft six twelve asked, "Do we sign four or five offensive linemen?" And I think it's definitely possible. You got two in the fold already, and it, like you said, if you land Barnes, then you probably also land Montalus. Uh, I think if they were to land one of the other two, Richard Garage, Nicholas Frere, depending on how the rest of the class shaped up, they'd probably go down the board. I know they've got some some other guys are keeping on the back burner that recruiting. So I'd say yes, there's a very good chance they sign four or five offensive linemen. Um, and then one other question at evil coach back away and asked, does Ivy staying his senior season help with the William, uh, slash Ed recruitment? Uh, no, I don't think so. Cause I think you could, uh, if you were an opposing coach, you could say, Oh, look, there's another body in the way there. You're not going to start. So I think it's a wash. I don't think it really matters a whole lot, but I think at some point Mullen has to prove he can go out and turn the tide. Uh, Hevesy needs to do the same and they need to show they can get one of these guys. It's about selling your pitch about building enough of a relationship just to convince one or two of them to come. Hey, Bill, before before uh, we, uh, Will jumps in here, because he and I talked about it last week and you just kind of hit on it. You, were, you weren't on the show last week. What's your thoughts of uh, Ivy coming back? And do you think he do you think he stays at tackle? Ooh, yeah, I, I listened to the show and I like kind of where you guys were coming from with that. You got to think he wants a crack at it because of the money that's involved in the NFL there. Um, but I, at the same time, I think he probably told – I think Mullen probably told Ivy, look, we want to win and, and develop you the best you can. And if he sees that the guard is his his best shot to play and help the team, then I think he won't hesitate to move him inside. And that's something that could reveal itself over the course of the season. If he had to put a gun to my head, no, I, I don't think he necessarily spends all his time at tackle. I, I, I don't think he's proven enough to say that definitively he can do it. Yeah, I'm not sure Ivy necessarily hurts the 2018 class. I think he can really help the 2019 class if he comes out and his lights out on the field. So you take a guy who who has struggled. I mean, he's he's got five star talent, but I think there's no doubt that he struck. You know, that he was at guard early. He came out to tackle, had some issues last year um, with some missed assignments, but certainly has some pretty pretty good athletic ability. And uh, you know, if he all of a sudden turns into a world beater on the outside, well, that's something that now you can flash the recruits. You know, when when you when you're going to see him for 2019. So, and and I don't imagine. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that some guy coming in. Um, you know, if, if if he's a really elite left tackle, is he really all that worried about having to beat out beat out Ivy? Especially considering that you figure that that Mullen's probably whispering, well, he might move to guard anyway. So, <laughs> so and, and and like you said, Dave, I wouldn't worry too much. About, I mean, if you only bring in two of those, if 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 Mullen brings in two blue chip offensive linemen, he's well above the average that Bill just established that we've had, you know, previously. And so, I you can't play three tackles. And so, I think bringing in two along with what they've already brought in from. Uh, from from you know the three star guys we've talked about previously, I, I think that is probably enough to to at least solidify where they are, really increase competition, and then again, if you turn Ivy into if he starts looking like the blue chip player that he was coming in, then it'll be an easy sell when you go to bring somebody in in 2019. Yeah, and listen, guys, it's not like Florida has ever loaded up on blue chip offensive linemen since the recruiting rankings era came to be. I mean, the guy who averaged the most signees per year on uh, on the offensive line that were blue chips was Meyer at 1.8 per year. But um, overall, in 2002 to present, Florida's average 1.3. That was also Zook's average. Like I said, Muschamp was down below one at 0.8, and McElwain brought that up a little bit to one per year. Uh, so if for some reason Mullen starts off with two of these guys, you got to look at that as a huge success at that position. That, I mean, that's something that we just haven't seen a lot. And, and quite frankly, I'll be a little surprised. I, at this point – 
I'm hoping for just one one lightning strike. Give me Nicholas Petit for Frere or any of these guys. If they land any of these blue chips, I'll be very happy. Yeah, and if we move to the other side of the ball, you look at defensive line, and we kind of got to look at. We know we had a good a good haul at defensive tackle last year. Uh, yeah. Slayton, Conliff come in. Uh, you know the guys you probably aren't counting on, but we don't really know how this rotation is going to work out with Todd Grant, and we'll get into Todd Grant later, as we mentioned with Will's article. Uh, but Bill, what's the number of trend if we go to the other side of the ball? Oh, in the defensive line, is it just that did it drop just as much as the offensive line, or is or is there a little more hope there? It's ugly. <laughs> so, okay, so check this out. Now I, I kind of hinted at this. 2006, Florida didn't have some blockbuster star power on the offensive line when they won the national championship. Their defensive line was that. It, it was just loaded with with star power. Um, the guys that that Meyer inherited. Uh, from left to right, your defensive line in 2006 was Derek Harvey, former five-star player, Marcus Thomas until he got kicked off the team in November, who was a high four-star, ranked 68th in the nation. Uh, Joe Cohen, um, who was a defensive tackle, was a five-star, 20th-ranked player of the nation. And then Jarvis Moss, who was a five-star, ranked in the top 20 nationally. So you had three five-stars and a, a high-level four-star. Um, and then they found a sleeper in Ray McDonald. So, you know, <laughs> who turned out to play like a five star time, you know? right? Yeah, and so yeah, they got by with lesser with lesser star power on on offense, but it, it was just tremendous. And and in two thousand eight, when they won the title, it was a little lower. And at first, it looks like it wasn't that highly rated of a group because you had Justin Tretow, who was a four star defensive end, and Jermaine Cunningham, who was the same. And then you had two three stars: Lawrence Marsh at defensive tackle and Teron Sanders, who might be in the show soon. Um, but then if you look beyond that to say, okay, but what happened over the course of the season? Well, you had Torrey Davis, who was a five-star defensive tackle, who began to surge towards the second half of the season, had a, a fourth down stop against Oklahoma in the national title game. And then Carlos Dunlap, who was a five-star defensive end, who, no, he wasn't a starter, but he put together nine and a half sacks in 14 <laughs> games. So, you know, they, Florida has won with, with defensive line star power in recent years. It's been a hallmark of their play, not only in the championship years, but throughout the – well, gosh, every year they've, they've had defensive line star power. And here's the bad news I got for, for Gator fans right now. Under the, in the Meyer era, uh, the average defensive lineman signed was ranked 147th of the nation. Well, that fell to a still respectable 349th under Muschamp. And, and again, a guy that was clearly a great evaluator of defensive talent. But then in the McElwain era, the average defensive lineman signed was 513th nationally. Um, and 33rd at his position. So you're talking about guys that are mid-level three stars on average. And and as far as the blue chips, it's just really fallen off. Um, and thankfully, though, like you said, they did bring in Conliffe. They brought in Carter and Slayton, uh, guys that have some star power, in addition to Kyrie Campbell, who's a former four-star. And some pretty good early returns on those guys. And that, that is a group that might really help Mullen as he looks to rebuild. And CC Jefferson coming back too. Sure, and CC's huge. Yeah. 
Uh, well, so I had actually looked at the defenses the same way I did the offenses, right? So yards yards per attempt. And there, now we're getting into the blue chip, blue, bro, blue, bro, blue blood programs. So Alabama, Clemson, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan were the top five. Yeah. But that's the way it's been since 2014. I went all the way back and looked at 2014. 90% of the teams in the top 10 from 2014 to 2017 were, were power five guys. And probably I'd say... 90% of those were blue blood programs. And what you see when you look at that is overall, the star ranking for those defenses is 3.7 and the average national ranking is 516. But on the defensive line, the average star ranking is 4.1 and the average national ranking is 220. So, and, and it goes down to about three and a half and then around 600 for the linebackers and the DBs. So what you're really looking at is these elite, elite defenses are loading up on the defensive line. And when you look at Florida in 2015, that's exactly exactly what you see is that the defensive line had four averaged 4.3 stars and 130 was the average national ranking. And they also backed that up with the DBU moniker where the DBs were 4.0 and 111 was their national ranking. So two of the units on the defense, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dave. Yeah. And then you throw in uh, uh, Jared Davis, who was a three-star who played like a five-star and you had the perfect scenario for those great defenses. Yeah, and you know what What you saw in 2016, and I think if you go back and look at the tape, you'll see this. The star ranking on the defensive line fell from 4.3 to 3.3 from 2015 wow. to 2016. But having, but having Anzalone back at linebacker, at least for part of the year, and then Davis really developing into a star, along with all the star power on the back end, because the DPs in 2016 were a 4.0 average star ranking and a 95 average national recruiting. And the linebackers and the DBs were able to make up for the lack of depth on the defensive line. And then you go to 2017, and the star rating doesn't change, but the average national ranking dropped to 450. The linebackers dropped from 213 to 340. And the DBs even dropped a little bit from 95 to 119. And that's why we saw some of the some of the some of the problems that we saw is there just wasn't the talent. And you can see it if you look overall. So the average national ranking in 2015 was 190. It went to 225 in 2016. Went to 303 in 2017, and the projected with without having some of those guys we've mentioned who are high level guys in there, the projected defense would be around 313 this year. So really, that's where having guys like Slayton and Antonius Clayton and David Reese coming in a four star linebacker, Trey Dean and Amari Bernie, that's really where those guys can start to make a difference is upgrading some of that, some of the depth and some of the talent there. And guys, look what it speaks to. I mean, how many times have we heard when, you know, national pundits are talking about college football and they talk about the SEC in particular, and what is the one thing that they scream that is different in the SEC than they scream everywhere else? It's the speed of the defensive line. And it's because they go out and they get these four stars and they get these five stars. And they look, they they they, they back them up. When one goes out, you usually fill them in with another one. And that's when Florida was at its best. And that's where we see Georgia uh, recently. That's where we've seen Alabama for – a decade now or even longer than that just now. So, I mean, it's no coincidence that, you know, you can still say defense wins championships when you look at the the teams that will just put in that top five or the teams that are competing a, a total or yards per, uh, what was it, Will, yards per attempt? Yards per attempt, yeah, against FBS opponents. So it takes out all the cupcakes. Yeah, so, I mean, that right there is, you know, it looks like the, and what, I guess we've seen it from Bama, uh, and if you're trying to try and copy, you can't copy their mold of doing it, but it is still have a great defense and at least average offense, and you take your chances from there. 
Yeah. Well, so Bill, you know, you talked about having the offensive line as a place of prioritization. That's why I think the defensive line is the place that I'd like to see him. So it's why Dorian Gerald is important. Malcolm Lamar, Andrew Chatfield, all those guys and Coinus Miller, those guys on the defensive line, if they can pull in one or two of those guys, well, now all of a sudden you have these guys who are true freshmen who might contribute. You've got the guys who were true freshmen last year who looked like they were ready to contribute, but maybe weren't as consistent as you, as you, as you'd uh, expect to see this next year. So I think the talent profile of the team is building. And I think we talked about that last week, Dave, that, that, that even with the early signing period, Mullen has proven he's bringing in more blue chip guys than McIlwain did regularly in, in his classes that weren't transition. He's bringing in those same, you know, he's bringing eight blue chip guys already. And that's sort of what was brought in a normal McIlwain class, maybe a little bit less. And so if he can bring in three or four more blue chip guys, it's really an elite level class to restock the cupboards. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, to the point of both of you guys, um, sure. I, to address the problems that Florida's had, their immediate need is to fix the quarterback position, fix the offensive line. But if you beyond quarterback, if you ask me what position is indicative of healthy recruiting at Florida, I'm looking at defensive line uh, because not only, like I said, is it the hallmark of, of Florida's victory and their success over the past years, but like you said, it's just how you win in the SEC, and it's it's the hallmark of just great teams. Period. Um, so yeah, you need to see blue chip talent on the defensive line every single class at Florida. Uh, however, as I tweeted early in the week, Urban Meyer's class in 2005, his first recruiting class at Florida's transition year, was the only time I think Florida has not signed uh, – gosh, I don't think they signed any defensive line that year. And that never happens. And so keep in mind, guys, while I'm saying that Florida must do this, if they don't get it done this year, if Mullen doesn't find a blue chip or any defensive line for his class – that doesn't mean he failed. It, transition classes are funny things, but he dang well better do it next year. It's something you got to see. But like Will said, they've got a chance. Coinus Miller, defensive tackle, who's a, considered a heavy lean to Auburn, is visiting on the last visit weekend, February 2nd. That's a great position to be in with him. Uh, Quay Walker might still be in the picture. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> we'll address that further in a minute. But, you yep. know, guys like Nesta Silvera, Chatfield, if they could turn a tie with a, one or two of those guys, it, it would be a very good sign and the kind of player that typically has gone on to great success. Yeah, the only difference there, Bill, and, you know, again, I agree with you wholeheartedly with the transition class and all that stuff. The difference is you just cited that defensive line in 2006 was pretty stacked. And, and so, um, you know, even so Meyer could have seen that that wasn't necessarily a need based on having that kind of elite talent for that, for that team when he came in. So, um, you know, in this case, the defensive line is not stacked, at least not based on stars and national rankings. And so I do think that's an area of need that, uh, that unit needs to be addressed and hopefully gets addressed this year. Yeah, I, I do think it's probably more to do with the fact he just couldn't build the relationships and get it done. And I think it hurt him coming from Utah from the West Coast. And, you know, he was bringing in a radical new system and approach to Florida football. Um, you know, but the good news is, while they may not have Jarvis Moss, they may not have Ray McDonald or Derek Harvey sitting on the roster, uh, I believe that they're going to get production out of Slayton and Conleth and Campbell. Uh, Antonius Clayton, who's going to move out to outside linebacker this year. Uh, I believe those guys are guys that can bring the heat in, and, and they have very good athletic ability, very good prospects, guys that could end up in the NFL. So there's some talent there. Again, he's got to add to it every year. Yep, and the one thing we're not factoring in, factoring in, factoring in here, and we'll, this is where we're going next. Hey, look, this is going to be a different defense. I mean, we don't know how some of these guys will fit into what Todd Grantham wants to do. It may be 
or what we think will be a more attacking style type of defense. Uh, but you may see some, like Bill just mentioned, Clayton moving from in to outside linebacker. You may see, see you may see CC Jefferson doing much of the same, uh, and, and you know being the the the, the sack the sack guy that you know Mullins or and Grantham's defense you know absolutely needs. It's been a while since Florida's had that guy you could count on, probably since Dante Fowler, to go and just go get a sack when when you absolutely need it. Florida hasn't had that guy, and there we, that's part of the problem we were just talking about. But will. Your article, your latest article for Read Reaction, talk Todd Grantham, and the, the the thing I wanted to take away from it, and I think the key part was you're not necessarily sure. You know, he's you don't you don't you don't want to say he's a bad defensive coordinator, but you're not necessarily sure he can come in and change the results from what we saw under Randy Shannon last year in year one of uh, of his defense taking over for, uh, for you know for Randy Shannon and the new staff altogether. No, I mean, whenever you've got a nickname third and Grantham, chances are, chances are there's at least some, some truth to that. So I wanted to look, take a longer view and say, okay, you know, he's got this reputation for giving up long plays on third down, blitzing, getting beat deep, those sorts of things. Well, what is, what shows up in the numbers? And to your point, Dave, it's, it's not, it's not like you're falling off a cliff. The team isn't getting a ton worse, but when you look overall, if you look at, at the programs three years before he was there, and average those, and then you take the time he was there and average and average stats. You look at points per game, yards per play, yards per rush, yards per attempt, QB passer rating, and turnovers. They're virtually identical. His predecessors versus after he took over. And the only time you really see a jump is when he went to Mississippi State. And so he was taken over at Mississippi State for Peter Sermon. And interestingly, Sermon went to Louisville to take Grantham's job when Grantham went from Louisville to Mississippi State, and essentially their their stats completely flipped. And so, so you know, Sermon had was the Mississippi State defense was seventy fifth in points per game, and and uh, and Louisville was thirty first. And then you look at or twenty ninth, sorry. And then you look at Grantham at Mississippi State, and he took him from seventy fifth to thirty first. And and Sermon took Louisville from 29th to 71st. So basically a complete switch there. And so I wonder whether that has more to do with Sermon not necessarily being a great defensive coordinator than Grantham being fantastic. None of this to say that Grantham is a bad defensive coordinator. I just don't know that he's a difference maker. He's not somebody, you know, Will Muschamp was known as a defensive coordinator who made a difference when you brought him in as a defensive coordinator. I don't know that Grantham is that kind of guy. Again, though, I'm not sure what the bar is. You know, Randy Shannon had a pretty good reputation at Miami, but once he became the head coach, the defense really started to struggle. The defense last year really struggled, though obviously, obviously there was a lot of youth. Um, and, and so, who you know, I, I just I don't I, I'm a, I'm assuming they're going to go they're going to be a little bit better this year if nothing else because they're going to start incorporating some of those guys who have been left aside. Antonius Clayton was like the 29th ranked recruit coming out of coming out of high school. Slayton was in the was in the mid 60s somewhere. So if those guys get incorporated in, you have a higher talent level. You have more depth as you bring in Bernie and Dean and those sorts of guys on the defensive side of the ball. I think they'll be better, but I don't know that it'll necessarily be some wizardry from Grantham. Um, and then the other thing is recruiting. He 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 doesn't seem to increase the number of blue chip recruits that are brought in from a recruiting perspective. So again, he's not upgrading the talent. He's just basically equivalent to what someone else would be with the exact same amount of talent, which isn't bad, but it's not a giant upgrade. It's not something that I'd say, oh, this is a home run. And that's one of the few things where, you know, Mullen, most of the stuff, you look at his underlying numbers, Mullen has gone from, you know, when he took over for Kroom, everything got better across the board. 
And that's, I was hoping to see that with Grantham and I didn't. So I think people are going to be, I don't think anybody's going to be massively disappointed with Grantham, but I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, he's in line for a head coaching job next year after we see the job that he does. And that's not a terrible thing, but it's not something that I get really excited about either. You know, I wonder though, is that to do perhaps with his scheme being different than, than most defenses out there? I mean, there's not a lot of guys running the three, four, like, I mean, you get a lot of the multiple guys, you do get a lot of these hybridized defenses and stuff where you have a buck or a star or whatever you want to call your, your rush guy and space guy. But you know, if you, if you look at it in scoring defense in Georgia, when you saw him go for four years there, the first three years you saw improvement in scoring D. First in 2010, they were 30th. The next year, they're 23rd. Then they were 19th. But then everybody left for the NFL and they fell off to 78th. You know, he didn't have quite as many years there at Louisville, had three years 24th, 39th, and 31st. Uh, but then again, they were all, always in the top 20 in yards, sixth in total defense in 2014, then 18th, then 14th, then 10th. So he's at least very capable uh, and, and capable of, of executing a defense at the highest levels of competition. It is a good question, though. Can he be a difference maker? Yeah, I will go back to his, his one year at Mississippi State last year, and I've got a couple stats that worry me and one that makes me feel you know better about him. But his numbers versus the SEC last year, he gave up an average of 24 points per game in SEC play last year, um, 31 versus – uh, and then the teams with more talent based on recruiting, that number went up to 27 points per game, 31 versus Alabama, gave up 49 to Auburn, held, held LSU to seven, gave up 31 to Georgia, only gave up 14 to Texas A&M and gave up 31 to Ole Miss uh, there. But, you know, give it, you know, Auburn's offense was rolling, they had 49 points uh, against that Mississippi State defense. Uh, the Georgia game was right after the LSU game uh, where they just blew out LSU. So, I uh, know, it was a lot of inconsistency, uh, I guess, would you say, a Todd Grantham versus the, uh, you know, the, the teams that have more talent on, on them. Um, but in games versus FBS opponents, they ranked 48th in yards per play, giving up 5.3 yards of play. So, you know, that's okay. It's, it's not great, but uh, it was his first year at Mississippi State and, you know, probably definitely not as much talent as he would have had at, had at Georgia and would have at Florida. Uh, but to Will's point <laughs> in the third and Grantham, this is a stat that does make me feel a little better. Uh, opponent third down conversions, they rank eighth in the country, only giving up 4.2 a game and 12th in the nation in percentage at 31.85. So that was Grantham's biggest blunder. And what he's been known for is, the, is his third down defense. But at Mississippi State last year, eighth in the country, only giving up 4.2 a game, uh, not bad. Uh, there and uh, you know uh, Florida was right around that same number last year, but for Grantham, it's even more important given his reputation on that on that all crucial down. Uh, you guys make some really good points. There there are explanations for everything for every one of his stops. <laughs> so if you look at Georgia, there's that fourth year where they were solid years one, two, and three, and then that fourth year. But that would concern me a little bit because those are his players, like those are his recruits. The fourth year is when you say, okay, now you've gotten all your guys in there. Now, granted, a lot of those guys left in year three, but that means they weren't his guys. And so so you start looking at that and say his guys didn't develop to be ready to step in. 
And then the next guy, you know, the new guy comes in the next year and they're right back to where they were originally those first three years under Grantham. You look at Louisville and the defense got considerably worse under Grantham, but it was Charlie Strong before Grantham was there. And Louisville went from the AAC to the ACC in that transition. So again, is it really fair to, to say, hey, now you're playing Florida State and Clemson, we're going to grade you against when you were playing UCF and USF and things like that. And then Mississippi State, he had one year. But I think when you look at it overall, it's an eight-year sample size when you average out all the numbers for all the defenses he's had and it's nine different years that I looked at for the without Grantham right before he came in and the passer rating is 120.7 before him and 120.5 with him. The one place where there is a little bit of an uptick is turnovers so it goes from 1.6 to 1.9 per game um, when Grantham takes over and I think that sort of speaks to the aggressiveness. I think we are going to see some big plays given up, but I think we're going to see the defense make some big plays. I don't think he's awful. Like that's not what I'm saying. I just don't think that I I think you could probably pick any one of many different defensive coordinators and get the same performance. I don't think that um, I think I think it's going to require a significant talent upgrade to have defenses like we've had in 2015 and 2016. And again, a lot of that talent is responsible for Jeff Collins looking good as well. It's it's not just that Collins is a fantastic coach. I think the talent impacts that. But you know who was involved in bringing those guys in and that sort of stuff are things you got to ask. So um, you know I, I don't think he, I don't think he's awful, but I think the track record says that he's going to perform very. He's going to perform up to the level of his talent, which is what most coaches do. I don't want to get in the way of Will pouring the uh, haterade here. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, and if it, you know, just in a, as a rebuttal to the third in Grantham thing, yes, he started off pretty poorly because his first four years uh, as a coordinator, the, his time at Georgia, uh, or first, you know, his years at Georgia, not his first year ever as coordinator, but uh, he was 79th, then – Rebounded all the way to third in third down defense, but then back to 36th, then down to 66th. Uh, but then since then, his last four years here, were three at Louisville, one at Mississippi State, he was 10th, 35, or excuse me, 10th, 35th, 10th, and 12th in third down defense. So he's been almost what you would call elite on third down defense in three out of the last four years. So maybe if nothing else, there's some progress there and some growth as a coordinator. That's what I, I'm going to be the positive Pete and, and say that maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Commit to your hate there, Will. <laughs> well, I'm glad I got I'm glad I got your optimism to balance me there, Bill. This is this is a new <laughs> Bill. Like now that he's in Florida, he's turning a new leaf. He's uh, did you miss the uh, defensive line recruiting portion? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we've had plenty of talk Grantham talk. So guys, if you uh, missed that, there's uh, I forget the title of it, but there is an episode out there where we have broke uh, Broken down a little bit of uh, Todd Grantham's defenses uh, before in previous episodes. So, uh, you know, compared to what we said tonight and what we said previously there, you can uh, definitely get a good feel for uh, what you can expect for Todd Grantham. Uh, but, you know, we'll get a more, we'll get even more when uh, spring rolls around and see how these, some of these, uh, this new attacking style, new look of our defense uh, will fit and with Grantham. So, guys, are you ready for a couple of questions we were sent that was sent our way? Yeah, man, let's do it. Uh, Brendan Ryan at Brendan. Ryan on Twitter, does it seem like we're gaining any ground on any defensive blue chips? It seems like we're losing guys like Clay Walker or Dorian Gerald. Um, I'll answer the first part to, about defensive blue chips. Florida's trending for a flip for Maryland commit four-star Noah Boykin from Washington, D.C. Visiting this week. Yeah, cornerback. 
Um, he's visiting this weekend. Uh, many think a uh, potential flip is possible uh, there. So that's uh, one blue chip you can look out for. Uh, we'll see, you know, if, if he's going to do it, he may do it this weekend on a visit. If not on the visit, then we'll, you know, probably we'll kind of see what happens there. Uh, you, know, you would think if it's going to happen, it would happen on a visit when you can wow, wow him. Uh, but maybe you want some time to think about it afterwards. But as far as Quay Walker goes, he's an Alabama commit, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, all fighting for some trips uh, these last few weekends uh, or for uh, right before signing day. He bumped the Florida visit. Uh, last week, but now may visit as uh, Bill was saying earlier. So who knows where that one's going? Tennessee got a visit out of him last week, so we'll see where Quay Walker goes. I know a lot of people think uh, he may flip to Georgia, so that's the last thing they need is another five star. Um, Dorian Gerald, coaches visited him last week. Interest is there. Only thing I've heard, and you know, Blake Alderman said this uh, on the Gator Bait message boards a little bit that Florida is kind of tricky dealing with JUCO players because of the academic requirements the University of Florida has. So the strict academic side of it and, you know, with some JUCO players, we'll kind of see where uh, where that goes. But uh, I would feel like if Florida can get him in, he'll be a Florida uh, he'll be a Florida signee. Uh, when Will mentioned it earlier, twinning the right way for Aquinas Miller, so we'll see. Uh, don't know if UF can be his final choice. They'll be getting him on campus uh, the weekend before signing day. So right before signing day, they'll get a chance to wow him. Uh, just not sure if Florida gets him in the end. And another name, Xavier Peters, another blue chip guy, linebacker. He's garnered interest, committed to Kentucky. He's visited Florida State. Uh, but there's not enough there for me to feel confident on right now. So as far as defensive side and blue chips go, guys, uh, there's not really a lot out there. Xavier Peters is one to watch, though, because I keep seeing mixed things on him. Uh, he's a linebacker. You know, this kind of plays into what Myers, at J Myers 1515, asked what are your feelings about the linebackers in the recruiting class? Um, you know, David Reese has uh, some upside as a, a three, four outside linebacker, and I like him in the class. And I, I think, Dave, you've talked about his speed a little bit. Uh, but they do need more. Again, I keep talking about this. They need a further injection of talent in the position and, and across the roster. Uh, but Xavier Peters is an academic uh, question mark, and it, it looks like Florida is still at least communicating with the guy. And if he shows up for a visit, then I'd say he's one to watch. I think he is one that they could be trending with in the right direction. He's somebody that I think is in the top 200 nationally. He's a guy that could add some some good uh, star power and good talent to the linebacking core immediately. Not sure if he'd stay inside or slide outside to be a rush guy or not, um, but he's the one I, I'm looking for. Again, all comes down to 2019. I'm going to give Mullen a pass for any particular position that he hits or misses on in this class. Next year has to be a home run, though. That's just what history says. Yeah, and I, I, you know, the other thing I think is that in the three-four defense, you can look at guys like Chatfield, who are what, like 220 pounds, and those are guys who could drop back in that linebacker slot. So I think there's a lot of interchangeability, and we talked about this a couple of a month ago during the early signing period, where that was something Mullen was really looking for with Dean and Bernie in the back in the back side of the defense. Well, now you can start to see that on the front side. So you know, if there's a shortage of linebackers, you can drop CC Jefferson, you can drop in drop Antonius Clayton back into that outside linebacker slot, but then you got to bring in defensive tackles. <laughs> and, then, and if you bring in defensive tackles or defensive linemen, again, you have the ability to, or if you bring in linebackers, then you have the ability to have those guys put their hands in the ground. So, um, you know, I, I think that um, the linebacker defensive end designation is probably less important than it is just getting the bodies in there and getting the talent in there. Yeah. I like that. Uh, JB at J at jab 2375 on Twitter. Do you think the nationwide recruiting going on is in focused effort, especially out West 
or more about getting the Gator logo back out there? Uh, kind of start with Ron English, of course, the, the defensive backs coach for Florida now. He has California ties, and I think that's where we're seeing some of it. Since you have a guy who has ties out there, hey, look, see, go offer some four stars and five stars outside out there in California and see if you can get a Ronald Powell or somebody who, you know, who, who, who would commit to Florida. You know, there was a big-time five-star uh, recruit, Ronald Powell, uh, under Meyer, who recruited who, – who committed to Meyer – uh, there and you know it, it can be done. You know I wouldn't be afraid of going out west if you could go get a four star, five star. I don't care where they're from. We, we've mentioned this in this episode that the talent has to be uh, upticked at, at Florida. It has to get better uh, with the the guys that you can pull in. If you have to go out west to California and do it, you might as well do it. But you know the the focus definitely has to be the state of Florida. Uh, definitely the state of Georgia. You got to stay in the, in the South in your footprint and what you can get. But if you want to go out there while you're out there and you offer some, you know, I don't think you could go out and reach, you know, you don't want to go out there and reach for, you know, three stars or whatever, but you know, if you can get the four stars or five stars, if you have a coach out there who has relationships, like there's to me, there's nothing hurt about going out there as long as you don't spend too much of your focus out there. You know, I'm looking at something here. Um, I, I just off the cuff, just took a look at the 24-7 sports uh, in-state rankings for the state of Florida. And according to what I'm seeing, only 10 of the top 50 prospects in the state. Now, that doesn't account for IMG or all that, but of the top 50 guys on the list, just at first glance, only 10 of them are left uncommitted. Uh, and I don't know how many of those are left unsigned, but that's 80% of, of those prospects in the state of Florida in the top 50 are already locked up to other schools. So – Assuming that most of those are already signed, that means you're going to have to look elsewhere. If you're trying to fill out your class and you just got on the job in the last month here and, and you've got 10 spots to fill, which is something I know we'll hit on here in a minute, um, you're going to have to look far and wide. And every other staff in the country is having to do the same thing. They're focusing all their efforts on a, a smaller pool of, of prospects because of this early national signing day. So you can't sit back and say, well, this is going to be our radius and we're going to recruit 300 miles from the university. No, that's why you're seeing Noah Boykin from uh, the mid-Atlantic region and you're seeing them look out in California. You're seeing them look in Florida and Georgia and Texas. And you got to look under every single rock to fill this class. And in addition to that, it's a double challenge because you're, you're setting up shop as the new coach and you've got to go to your staff and say, hey, guys. English, whoever you are, where are your connections? Do you have anything you could do for us out here with this school to help us fill out these last few spots? So I don't think it, it, it's necessarily an indicator of going back to the Urban Meyer era of national recruiting uh, he was in his last few years. But it could end up being that way if they start to gain a foothold. And, and I do think Florida has to be the priority. We just have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the things with this early signing period is you've got those open slots and there are other teams that don't. And so if, if there are teams that are waiting on three or four blue chip prospects and they only got two spots, well, where are those blue chip prospects going to go? So, you know, I, I think there there's some musical chairs going on in terms of how num how many slots people have. And a team like Florida has a lot of slots. And so there's an opportunity maybe to to exploit an inefficiency in this early signing period the first year where maybe some people over or had some had some guys commit and sign that had they waited till February, they might have squeezed out and, and had a different guy come in. And so, you know, I think that might also be an advantage potentially for somebody coming in with a transition class, being able to have those extra slots. 
Yeah, absolutely. Bill, I know you had a, we had a couple questions out because there's a lot of confusion about there about the uh, initial counters and counters and class size of uh, you know how Florida will attack uh, signing day from from here on out. So uh, I guess you know, look at looking at what you've been able to find. And of course, we know Randy Russell no longer can be uh, can, can no longer play football. So uh, send our condolences out for him. He was going to be a signee for Florida. Uh, luckily, they found out with a physical uh, exam that he will not be able to play uh, football um, for, for Florida uh, as a, you know, as a uh, recruit, as a signee, uh, as a player. So some question of whether if that scholarship will open back up or not. So Bill, what you got? Well, uh, yeah, Maverick at LMI 23. He has a couple of things. One of those was, you know, how many can they sign with or without Russell? And like you said, Russell, thankfully they found his problem before he went out and had a life critical issue on the field, um, but he had just signed. And so there's some debate on whether or not, the NCAA will waive his slot as an initial counter and give it back to Florida. Cause you basically can, you have to stay under the, what is the 85 man limit? You can only have so many on scholarship per year. Then you can only sign so many per year. They set a slot limit to say, well, we, no matter how many you got on scholarship, we're not letting you sign 50 in a given year. Um, and so right now I think there's 78 on scholarship. Uh, they had 24 initial counters. They've signed 13. They took two transfers in it and Grimes and Jefferson. Um, and so whether they get, while it may be debate uh, whether they get that spot back for Russell, they're going to sign either nine or 10 more uh, on national signing day. Um, that includes the 13 that they have already signed plus the two transfers. So they've got 15, they can sign nine to 10 more. Um, what they will add there, we'll kind of go over that more, I'm sure, next week. But I would look for a couple of wide receivers, a couple of offensive linemen, a couple of defensive linemen, a quarterback, and maybe a rushing linebacker kind of combo there. So that's kind of what we're looking at, nine to ten more. There we go. Uh, yeah, guys, we got plenty of questions when we uh, asked them for this episode. So thanks for sending them. I have saved uh, a lot of them, so we'll definitely get to them uh, in future episodes. So uh, thanks for out there for all the interaction, uh, of course, on social media. We asked for some questions, and we definitely got them. So I'll save them. We'll get to them uh, eventually, but try to fit them into what kind of this topic of the show uh, was about. So, guys, that was a – that was a wow. That was about an hour and ten-minute show there. <laughs> well, he went on that tirade about how much he hates Grantham. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we're now that we're not doing three a week, Dave, we got a lot to talk about. So uh, that's what it is. We're still getting we're still getting requests for uh, more shows per week, but uh, uh, we just can't fit it in right now. <laughs> <laughs> our our wives tell us it's unwise. So. Uh, yes. <laughs> you could you could have September through December, but come on. Yeah, I don't want to get killed. <laughs> no, no. Well, hey, I'm 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 wanting till January next year, man. So, yeah, there we go. Well, what you got uh, coming up on reading reaction again? Uh, so, like I said, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be detailing some of the numbers I had tonight about the top five defenses, top five offenses, and what that looks like from a star perspective, and so where Florida should focus. Um, and that's that's what's gonna be coming up pretty soon. Absolutely, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. That's uh, the focus right now. Hey, we'll see what happens after these uh, first official visits. Uh, Florida didn't have any official visitors uh, last week uh, when guys could start coming in. So this is the first week they'll be on campus. Uh, a lot of these guys with the, with the new staff. It's a full staff now, by the way. So you know, we'll see kind of how Florida handles uh, these official visits with a with a full staff of. Uh, you know, 10 assistants out there with Dan Mullen. So, guys, it's going to be an exciting time this weekend, and maybe we'll have a commitment or two to talk about next week. 
Yeah, and two of those could be uh, wide receiver Justin Watkins and then Noah Boykin, the cornerback who you mentioned. I think they're both scheduled to come in on the 19th. So keep an eye out uh, with maybe retweeting a commitment. Hopefully. Uh, you never know. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Uh, you can find Bill on Twitter at RealBSykes and the founder of ReadingReaction.com is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown. David Waters, you can find me on Twitter at GetterDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening.